Hey y'all, welcome back to the Joy and Infertility podcast, or if this is your first time listening, we are so glad that you're here. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and this is a place where we can link arms together as we are finding joy, even in infertility. Well, guys, welcome back. This is episode number 42, and it's our first episode of the fall season. And I'm going to introduce somebody to you guys in just a minute. But before I do, oh, it feels so good to be back. This is our third season. We've been doing the podcast for two and a half years for those of you who may be just joining us. And I am just so grateful for those of you who maybe have found the podcast over the summer and started listening, or a lot of you who have been with us from the beginning, you started to re-listen to past episodes during the break. I just want to thank you for being a part of this community. It means the world to me. And if you're new here, please make sure you're following us on Instagram so you know when new episodes are being launched or bonus content this fall. We'll share more about that over on Instagram, but just make sure you're following us so you can stay up to date. Today, I am chatting with another infertility warrior and adoptive mama, Amanda Hoke. A month or so ago, I posted on Instagram and asked what you guys wanted to hear more about. Two things came up over and over again, adoption and male factor infertility. Well, Amanda covers both of those topics, and we crammed a lot of incredible content in this episode that we pray encourages you and your husband on this journey. Take a listen. Satan is attacking families, and he's going to use this to drive you apart. Couples who deal with infertility or loss, there's such a high divorce rate, and that is Satan's plan. And so just notating who the enemy actually is and who is to blame for this like our anger should be directed at him not at ourselves or each other because of what we're walking through i'm telling you guys when i sent amanda the questions of for today's conversation there was so much i wanted her to cover because they've hit so many topics that are important to you guys and so I was for sure thinking we would talk for over an hour, but she did not waste a word. So get ready. There's going to be a lot of information thrown at you and just a really a lot of wisdom. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Let's get into my conversation with Amanda. Hey, Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me to be on. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yes, I'm so glad that I found you. You were asking me that earlier, how I found you. And I think you shared on Waiting in Hope, which is another favorite of ours. Mm-hmm. And so your story was just really powerful. So I was excited to have you on, especially considering so many people are asking about what you have gone through. They're asking for more guests um, to talk about that. So buckle up. We're ready to go. We got a lot to cover. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so, great. Amanda, why don't you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about who you guys are and help us get to know you? Absolutely. So I grew up in Alberta. It's about um, maybe an hour from Banff National Park. So I feel like that's a really good landmark for people to kind of understand where I'm from. And then when I was in my early 20s, I moved to Virginia Beach to go to college and I loved it there. It's a beautiful place. Um, I met my husband while I was living there and he was from Texas and we got married. I finished with my undergrad, and then we moved across the country to Texas about seven years ago, Um, and we've been married for about nine years. So Um, what do you think of Texas compared to your background of Virginia and then Banff, Canada? I mean, the landscape is, you know, not as beautiful. Definitely miss that, (laughs) yes, but living about 20 minutes from the airport is really convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, I love our falls and our winters here, and 
I just kind of put up with these summers. Yeah, they're pretty brutal. <laughs> yes. Yeah, when yes. I heard that you were like so close to Banff, I didn't know what that was until a year ago. And mm-hmm. um, my aunt went and then my brother was supposed to go on their honeymoon this year and they had to cancel because of COVID. Oh, but I'm sorry. Oh, man, it's gorgeous. Yes. It's so pretty. Yes. I can't imagine the the change of where you are. <laughs> Every time I go home, I try to schedule in a day hike or some time in the little city. It's just, it feels like home to me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So keep. So you've got, you, you and your husband, y'all live in Texas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got, our pup is five years. He was the first adoption. <laughs> and then we have an adopted daughter who just turned three and a son, adopted son, who is five months. So that's our little so family. Newbie. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how long have you had your son? We were discharged from the hospital with Okay. Both of our children, actually. Yeah. So oh, at the had... same time? Uh, no. So our oh, daughter okay. at Got three it. and then, <laughs> yes, yeah. um, okay. our son at five months. And yeah, they keep me busy. And I also keep busy with I Am Fruitful. I do some young living and I just bounce from splash pad to pool to park all day long. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our life. Which Texas has a lot of great options. That is one mm-hmm. thing that's been different here is just there's not a lot of places to go for your kids. I don't feel like Texas yeah. is like the land of the indoor playgrounds at churches, mm-hmm. at just random strip malls. It's like, oh, here's a free indoor playground that you can go and hang out and get a coffee. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes, absolutely. And they're gated. And so you just kind of let your kids go free and you don't have to, you know, watch them as much. So it's been nice. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, walk us through, you mentioned that they're adopted. So walk us through your mm-hmm. journey to get those kiddos and how, how you guys found out that um, infertility was going to be a part of your story. Yes. So like I said, we've been married for about nine years. Um, at about the two-year mark of being married, we started to try to start our family. And after about six months, I went in, got my, you know, blood levels checked and found out that I had a thyroid issue. So I worked with a specialist for about six months and got that resolved. And then we thought we were set. So we went for another year just trying naturally without support of a fertility team and realized that, you know, maybe we were doing something wrong or maybe there was something wrong. So we were um, sent over to another OBGYN and she started running some tests and you know how they have to schedule them out month to month, et cetera. So we were working on my tests for about three to four months. And she said, hey, listen, before we do the next test, it's expensive. Why don't we send your husband to get tested? And this whole process, we're sitting there thinking we're going to have undiagnosed infertility. Um, and that's just ex- what we expected to be our story. And so he went in for his sperm test and came back with an absolute zero sperm count, like nothing. They couldn't find a single thing. Mm -hmm. And we were just not expecting there to be a problem. And so we went to Market Street, we both ordered a beer and he told me the news and because he had gotten a call a little bit before that. And we both honestly just stared at each other. Like we were completely stunned. We did not think we were going to be running into any issues. And um, we didn't know like 
that this was something to process and to grieve. We just thought, okay, so this door is closed. We need to go through an open door. And adoption had been on our hearts for a couple of years, but like everyone else, we thought, oh, we'll adopt after having some bio kids. And that is probably what our story will be. We'll do it from, you know, just like from the goodness of our hearts or whatever. (laughs) We had so Mm -hmm. much to learn. Um, And so looking back, I'm so thankful that all of the other doors as far as fertility treatments were closed so that we didn't spend thousands of dollars or time or whatever um, pursuing different options. Like we feel like God so specifically led us to adoption that it was just the natural choice. Um, But what we did is instead of talking about the diagnosis, we literally said, we pulled up agencies and started doing research and we didn't even stop to grieve or understand what had actually happened. Um, We're both strategic. We're both checklisters. We're both like really get things done type of people. And so, you know, we just did what we know to do. Um, We worked with an agency in Texas and um, they required a birth mother fees up front. So once the home study was complete, which we paid for, they required those birth mother fees immediately before matching. And so over the course of the next year, I mean, I don't know if they even showed our profile to two expectant mamas. And we saw the families on their website cycle through month over month over month. And every quarterly call we got yeah, we haven't shown your profile to anyone or we've shown it to one. And so here we were sitting in this unprocessed infertility thing, dealing with an agency that we'd paid most of the money that you pay for an adoption up front and they weren't even showing our profile. So So that's not standard to do that, correct? no, No. Okay. You don't pay that until you're matched. So because mm-hmm. those birth mother fees are for the birth mom, you don't know, you can't guarantee that you're ever going to match a family. So right. That's or that's, that you change your mind. Absolutely. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yes. So for all of those interested in adoption, that's a, that is a good warning sign. Be on the lookout for that. Absolutely. So after over a year, we ended up walking away from them and they were very difficult in that that was a very difficult transition to walk away from them. They, they did not make that easy. Um, but in the meantime, we were looking for a support group. We found the organization I Am Fruitful. We started meeting with them in their homes. And that's when things kind of started turning for us, where we started kind of posturing our hearts towards the Lord and started dealing with some of this grief and all of that. In In that um, time, they hosted a prophetic night for us, and one of the ladies came. I did not know her at the time. She's a good friend now, but she said, I saw you, and you were dancing, and you were singing New York, New York City, where dreams are made of, and she, to emphasize the point, gets up dances in the middle of this room full of people twirling singing this song and I was just looking at her like you're crazy (laughs) and at the time 
the agency we were working with in Texas only showed profiles to Texas families. And so a couple months later, we signed up with a consultant. We started seeing situations immediately. And after about six weeks of working with them, an attorney in Florida found out that our home study was incomplete. It was very poorly done, but we had gotten it From the first agency? From the first agency. Ugh. And so they were like, we need so much supporting documents. We do not want to see your profile. You need to have a completed home study. And so what they were missing was those background checks from Virginia. And so those took about two months to come back. And so not only did we feel so frustrated with our first agency for taking all this money and not actually matching us, they gave us and charged us for an incomplete and really poorly done home study. So we were furious. And I feel like um, a disrupted adoption is not part of our story, but the, what we went through with that agency, like I can understand the financial loss that a family goes through when they deal with a disrupted adoption and it is crushing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, just the emotional turmoil on top of it. It's like, if like, it's, it's like if you were going through fertility treatments and doctors poorly, poorly treated you, I mean, yes. it's, that's, it's you, it's almost unbearable on top of the pain mm-hmm. that you're already dealing with. Absolutely. And I think there's so many different situations where women go through the disrupted adoption or they lose financial a lump of money from an agency or they're they spend years or thousands of dollars on IVFs and they and they walk away without a baby like that is such a huge thing to process it's so hard hmm. so after those background checks came back from from Virginia um we were matched with our daughter literally got a phone call at work and they were like we have this baby gave us the profile um do you want to move forward and we were ecstatic yes well she was born yesterday in order to take placement you have to be in new york city tomorrow by 11 <laughs> and this was 3 30 on a friday um and so i went to my boss's desk i told her our baby's here i just got a phone call I need to get, I need to leave right now. And she looked at me and she said, what are you still doing here? And I (laughs) ran out the door. Um, They were fantastic in working with us and ran home, booked a flight, packed my bags. Oh, and another prophetic word with the whole New York thing that she had done was have your bags packed. And I had my diaper bag and all of my baby stuff packed in a corner in the nursery because we knew when the baby came, it was going to come fast. And so all I had to worry about was packing my stuff. And Mm. I am neurotic about lists and double checking and all of that. And so I'm so thankful that that was all taken care of regarding like the baby stuff. Um, So I ran to the airport. My husband was out of state on a work trip, so he couldn't join me and um, got on a plane landed in New York at about 1130 midnight and found out that all the hotel rooms in the city were taken because of a bunch of downed flights. And so we worked with, um, my husband and I tried to find some hotel rooms for about an hour and a half. And then I ended up sleeping in the lobby of a hotel. Like it was just kind of a crazy story. Um, 
feel like God sent a guardian angel to protect me that night. Like it was just such a crazy time. Um, and I feel like it was such a hard road to meet our daughter. But when we met her, I feel like everything shifted and there was just like this new period of abundance and God blessing us in such an incredible way. Um, we had an open adoption with her birth mama, uh, but I didn't hear from her for about two and a half years. Mm. And so that was always hard for me because you have this idea of a birth mom being like a lot of communication and getting to know her and all of that. And so um, I just consistently kept pouring into that relationship with monthly updates, photos, all of that, and then didn't hear from her until the middle of February or the middle of January this year. She emails me and essentially tells us, you know, over the course of a couple of emails that she's expecting again, and would we be interested in adopting? And girl, we dropped everything Mm. um, to pursue that. I got on a plane a week later. I sat in New York City for two weeks while we waited for her to give birth. And she had, I was, I advocated for her. I was in the hospital room working with attorneys to make sure that she was represented and really fought for this incredible, beautiful baby boy who was born middle of February. And And that was really close to all the craziness up there (laughs) yes I know everyone was talking about it and I was in hospitals I was in subways you know we were kind of touristing the city my sister came out um you know being definitely risk of being exposed and so much they hadn't shut it down shut the city down yet right no no so I got on a plane um end of February and that was probably like kind of a week later, things started to shut down. Wow. And so that would have been really rough if I would have had to drive alone. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. I know. So, so much goodness. Yeah, I feel like you should write a, you should write a little, like, document, a little PDF of things to be on the lookout for with, with adoption. Because, I mean, you don't, you don't know those things. No. They're going to put their bright and shiny family success stories online as their referrals and... Mm-hmm. Um, you just trust that you can't be an adoption agency if you're not trustworthy, if you're not legit, and if you don't follow through with things. Um, but I guess you can. Well, a lot of adoption agencies put some statement of faith and talk about God, and then you walk in thinking that you're dealing with a Christian agency who's on the lookout for mm-hmm. you as adopting parents, as well as birth moms and supporting birth moms. And I think it's really hard for an agency to do both, um, to have the resources to do that. And I, yeah, there's a lot of adoption things that go on uh, because it is so unregulated. Um, A lot of stuff goes on and nobody's held responsible. And the minute you post about it online, um, you're contacted by attorneys. And so you just... Uh, kind of have to you you get sent cease and desist letters and you kind of just have to sit there and take it whatever they decide to do to you and it's very unfortunate oh wow mm-hmm. well while we're on the subject um that's that's one of the topics that people are always asking they just want to know more about it because it seems that it's just kind of like IVF it's this mm-hmm. such a huge step and such an expensive step and the steps don't seem very clear in the beginning and I mm-hmm. think 
I had a, a girl on back in the very beginning and she was like, you just have to take that first step. That's really the only advice she could give is just take one step and mm-hmm. then the next step. Yeah. But I would love for you to share, um, a cut, you know, just a couple, I know you said, you know, vet your agency, I guess would be something that you would say, mm-hmm. but what is some other advice that you would give to someone that was pursuing that? Yes. And I actually get a lot of people reaching out being like, I don't know where to start. So I'm part of a Facebook group called Mighty Mamas of Adoption. And that has been such an incredible resource for me. What I would do if I was looking for adoption um, to adopt is get in contact with some adoptive mamas and try to get them to post because you can't post on there until you are home study approved. So usually by then Mm -hmm. you've already selected your agency, Um, but get a friend to post on there and just get some feedback from them about particular agencies. So what I'll do is I'll jump on there and say, hey, can anyone give me feedback regarding this agency in this city? And then I will get people saying, you can DM me, you can DM me, and then I can have a conversation with a couple of people about their experience. Nobody is going to put something out there in a public forum um, because stuff gets screenshotted and lawyers get contacted. And so people Um. are very careful about what they say about agencies when they've had a poor experience because they're scared of that. So um, why is there so much power there? Because I mean, you can be negative about restaurants that have mm-hmm. access to billions of dollars and tons of lawyers, but you can't be negative about a an adoption agency that really messed up. Yes. How is it so protected? Um, you, if you have a complaint, you can go to the Better Business Bureau um, and file a complaint with them. And if they have enough complaints, then they'll do an investigation. But there's just so much money that goes through an agency that, um, and a one bad review is going to affect them poorly. And, um, even when we were leaving that agency, we got letters from the, from their lawyers and we were doing everything according to our contract. We weren't stepping outside of that at all. And so, um, Mm. we weren't even hearing from the staff at the agency. We were getting stuff from attorneys and, when you're in just such a vulnerable place to be getting that is so intimidating and so scary. Um, so yeah, definitely. Would you recommend them as someone and like kind of vetting an agency? Would you recommend them asking like, Hey, if this doesn't work out in a certain timeframe that we, that we want and we want to find a different agency, what is that process like with you? Or do you feel like they probably wouldn't be able to be super honest about what that's like? Um, I would definitely, ask about working with multiple agencies at a time and if they allow that because the thing is is that you might have a friend of a friend who is expecting you get matched with them but she's already working with a different agency you wouldn't be able to adopt her baby through the agency that you've already paid money for so Mm. that's you that needs to be addressed can we work through multiple agencies if something else happens. Um, another thing is what I would do is get an independent caseworker to do your home study because then you've got a home study that you can work with, with whatever agency you want. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Those are all such good tips. <laughs> Thank and you. I think, and practical, like mm-hmm. so practical. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that you mentioned, and I want to kind of go back to before you started pursuing adoption, but I think it's, you made that point and I've had I think maybe two other guests that pursued adoption made that point about grieving before Mm -hmm. pursuing 
your next, you know, your next step. There is something to grieve Mm -hmm. and you guys lost the dream of biological children. Mm -hmm. Um, and you said you guys just jumped right back into adoptions and it took you, it took, was it because of that pause with that agency that you guys were able to grieve that? I think we jumped in, we needed something tangible to do. And that looked like getting home study approved, going through classes, all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and us keeping busy kept us from realizing what this intangible loss was and how big it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the home study was done and we were sitting and we were waiting is when um, we started to realize that there was something to grieve. And we started, mm-hmm. I listened to podcasts, Creating a Family is a really great resource as far as just like medical um, grief, identifying grief, and working through different ways to bring children into your family. Um, and so that was an incredible resource for me. It's not faith-based or anything. Um, and that's when I realized that this loss was something that we had to process. And so we started on that journey, but we didn't have a community of people that had ever had a miscarriage or had dealt with infertility and everyone was just like the responses from people were just, Oh, it's like you're pregnant without a due date and just Mm -hmm. really so well-meaning and so kind, but felt like what we were going through was diminished. And so I think over the course of the year while we were waiting was when we sat down found I am fruitful through another church in our area and started going to that in-person group. And, um, I thought we were processing the inability to not have children, biological children, because that's what, those were the feelings that I was dealing with. Um, I had no idea that my husband was sitting across the table from me dealing with such a different feeling of loss because it was a male factor infertility and so he was feeling so much shame and isolation and failure to perform and it really magnified the other areas in his life that he didn't feel like he was winning at and so the burden all of that felt so heavy to him while he's trying to be a strong support to me and neither of us had words to process this because we were working towards an adoption and that should be so hopeful and beautiful. So. Wow. So we're going to sit in that for a little while Mm -hmm. because, um, I talked to Amanda ahead of time and she talked to her husband before she got on and got some of his feedback because so many of you guys are requesting more male factor. And so we have straight from his mouth, (laughs) how he handled it, how he processed it. And so, um, if you are one of those people that wanted to hear more about this, we are about to dive in. And so I I think it's, I have actually heard that, that, that verbiage about it, it magnified the other areas that he was failing at, but that's, Mm -hmm. that is, that's men. That mm-hmm. is men. If they're failing in one area, it does. It magnifies all the other. And they start to spiral because things are tied up with their jobs or their performance. Mm-hmm. So talk more about, did he did he share more about that and like what specific areas that, that you're talking about? Yeah. So he was 
winning at life, right? But this made him feel like everything else he was failing at. And so all of the joy and the happiness that he should have been getting with where he was in his career or the relationships that he had or the other extra activities, he, it was all like so suppressed because of this grief. And what he did was just got the news and carp, I'm not going to say this right, compartmentalized it. He mm-hmm. put it into a back room in his mind, shut the door and didn't deal with it. Um, he wasn't space. There wasn't space given to grieve it because we were so aggressively pursuing the next thing. Um, and like I said, like neither of us knew that this was something that was supposed to be grieved. Um, so his diagnosis left us with 0% chance, humanly speaking, of having a biological child, um, that is both ours. And I think him, realizing that there was never going to be a mini Amanda and Tyler running around and he felt like it was his fault like that just magnified month over month over month as we were not successful in bringing home a child through adoption um mm. and on my so even end, the adoption he every every fail with that he he owned that yes mm. yes and I think that even magnified what was going on with our agency and made it harder for us to deal with. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, we see, I mean, when you said that, it kind of surprises me that sometimes they, 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 with male factor that they do take such ownership. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do the same thing though. It's, it really shouldn't surprise me, but you also see the reverse whenever a woman gets pregnant. What do guys do to the guy? They high five. Like you did it, you got the job done. Mm -hmm. And so of course that's going to translate if things don't happen that way, Mm -hmm. they're going to feel like, well, I didn't get the job done. I, I didn't, um, you know, handle that. And so I think that's something that we really do have to be cautious about as wives is, um, I think there's a different level. We don't high five each other as women when we get pregnant and like, you did it. Your eggs, your eggs did the job. No, it's right. The sperm is the action, I guess, is what was what they is mm-hmm. what is ingrained in their mm-hmm. biology. But so I think we just need to be careful of that. Whenever that news hits, um, we need to be very aware that they are handling this, whether they're talking about it or not. Like what you said, Tyler, wasn't y'all weren't able to talk about it because you were too busy. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be moments where you can slow down and process what he's feeling. Right. So how did he, how did he get support through all of that? So we started meeting with that I Am Fruitful group and what Mm -hmm. they did was split men in one room and women in the other. And there was another individual who they had a few different issues, but they also suffered from male factor infertility and they were seeing the same doctor and they were going, doing the same regimen and so just sitting there and joking about the pictures on the wall at this clinic and the guy's name and all of that like Mm -hmm. that brought so much solidarity to Tyler and um there was obviously like good constructive conversation that happened as well but just having someone walking the same steps Mm -hmm. at the same time as him and feeling that same frustration and sense of failure I think 
was so healthy for him. Um, And that started to give him some language because there were other guys in the group, their wives maybe were dealing with infertility, but they still were able to provide some words and some language for Tyler to use to communicate with me that he was struggling. And I remember driving home one night, it was, you know, obviously late because we always overstayed our welcome. And (laughs) Lauren and Billy Bourne are the founders and they would host and they were so incredible with she this was on whole thing. one of the earlier episodes I want to say it was between one through six or something like that <laughs> yes, yes so go was. back and listen to their story she was amazing mm-hmm. we were driving home and I remember we were holding hands and he started to open up and use the words in the language that he had heard and it gave him a voice for the first time because Um, If you're a woman listening and you're dealing with a lot of stuff, I don't know if it's the the same way in your marriage, but with me, it was all about me and how I was grieving and how I was angry and everything that I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. And I never gave him room to process and grieve and even realize that there was a need for that. And you never thought by you processing your grief like that, that you were actually probably making it harder for him. Absolutely. Yeah. So he felt Mm. so alone and he had for the first time language to communicate how he was feeling. And that is when I feel like everything shifted. Um, I had dug such a deep hole of this victim mentality and I didn't know how to get myself out and realizing that there was someone sitting beside me day in and day out going through the same thing, but I'd shut him out completely. We could be a team and get through this together. Um, Whereas before, all I saw was my own pain. And I think that's when things started to shift for us. Wow. Mm -hmm. I think he also just wanted to be fine. He wanted to be the strong one and all of that, but it took a while for him to realize that I needed to be included in that loss as well uh, for us to get through this together. And that's, I think, when our marriage started to be strengthened. We were able to seek God together. And that was really important because within the next three or four months, we would have to be making some huge decisions together that we couldn't have done if we were off on our own, separately processing through all the things. Mm, yeah, that's good. And that's that's true of everyone's infertility slash adoption slash foster slash mm-hmm. we're choosing to not pursue children right now. Like that is, you have to be on the same page because these are, these are huge decisions. Mm-hmm. And so you can keep those lines of communication wide open because the enemy is just waiting to find a little, little moment to sneak in there and cause allow this to actually break you apart instead of make a family. Yes. And I think Priscilla Shire says it so well. The enemy Satan is after our marriages. He is after our families and he is looking to break down the family unit, looking to get whatever wedge he can in your marriage. And if that means me diminishing Tyler's loss or me not giving him space, that's what Satan was using for months to keep us separate. And we would never have been able to make the huge decisions that we had to on the spur of a moment to bring our daughter home if we were still living on separate islands because 
Satan was had that wedge, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I ask you to ask your husband some questions. And so um, he's shared some things with you about to share with women whose husbands are dealing with male factor, as well as to mm-hmm. share with the men that are dealing with inf- male, inf- male factor infertility who are listening. So what did he have to say for the women? I definitely talked about finding someone who's kind of walking through the same journey as you and finding solidarity with another guy who's grieving or having to grieve the same thing. Um, That made a really big difference. Um, This is a quote that he said, guys want to perform, especially in bed, and it's hard when they feel like a failure. Um, And just helping guys realize that they're not alone. Like male factor infertility is very common, um, but we don't have online support groups for that. And it's hard to find a guy willing to speak out about it. So that makes it hard, but realizing that it's not shameful and he's not a failure, did so much from him. Mm-hmm. And I think what exasperated the male factor was jumping into an adoption that was so expensive and him feeling like, well, if I can't perform in bed, <laughs> I should at least be able to fund a, a very expensive adoption uh-huh. and feeling like a failure. Mm. That's so weighty. That is yes. so much to carry. Mm-hmm. Our poor guys. Mm-hmm. Our poor guys. That when you when you phrase it like that, yeah, it's a there's a lot on them, right? Because because God God put that in them. God put mm-hmm. that in them to be the provider. Yeah. And so when they can't provide your dreams, they can't provide financially for your dreams. They can't provide physically for your dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, that is heavy. Yes. And I think it's easy for us women to, it was easy for me to constantly be talking about the lack that we had, or we have this much more that we have to save up for and constantly be talking about the finances. And I think that made it heavier for him. Mm. Mm-hmm. For the guys, um, he just wanted to stress like normalizing this is so important there are so many guys talking about them um giving them space to grieve is really important as a wife um if they're dealing with a lot of loss they don't it it takes a little bit longer for guys for it to catch up with them what they're actually losing um so I think that was really important and then um leaning into their relationship with God is like paramount making that time in the morning or the evening or whatever your daily walk with God looks like instead of kind of walking away and giving it a sabbatical like pressing into that is so important and like I quote him when I say when he's speaking to the guys he said get counseling dude um (laughs) if it's a pastor at your church who's never dealt with infertility if it's a professional that you're paying money for, make that investment, take the time, make that financial investment, whatever it takes. Um, If you have the opportunity to lean into a support group um, of guys, because you've been going to a support group for a couple of years, open up to them and bring them alongside of that journey. Even if they don't know what you're talking about, 
like lean into that um, because isolation allows the enemy to bring so much shame and it needs to be brought out into the open and this needs to be normalized. You've got guys have their own stuff to carry and they have to be there for their wife as an emotional support and they can't do that from an empty bucket. Um, you have to be in an like a healthy place to do that. Another thing he said is my wife couldn't always handle his grief, my grief, um, especially when it would turn into anger, it would come out in other ways. And it was really hard on a relationship. And so in order to build into your relationship, getting that counseling and being in a healthy place is so important um, so that you can be healthy emotionally. Mm -hmm. Another thing he said is you're not alone. There's so many guys dealing with this. And we chatted about this for a second, but he really wanted to emphasize Satan is attacking families and he's going to use this to drive you apart. Couples who deal with infertility or loss, there's such a high divorce rate and mm -hmm. that is Satan's plan. And so just notating who the enemy actually is and who is to blame for this. Like our anger should be directed at him, not at ourselves or each other because of what we're walking through. Yeah. And you, that's come out in a lot of what you've talked about. You mm -hmm. keep going back to your marriage, your marriage mm -hmm. is top priority. And obviously you guys have seen the reverse or not the reverse, but you've seen how, easily infertility can kind of drive that wedge in between, you know, the two of you and how it's, it's so important to be yes. together. Mm -hmm. So what would you, you know, counseling, being open, finding support, would there be anything else that you would add to for those couples that are like, okay, I can kind of feel I can, we're not, we're not as strong as we need to be right now. Yes, I think um, jumping onto online resources, being open to um, reading books that support your marriage and the counseling, like those are so important. Getting away, I, we heard this so many times when we were saving for our adoption, getting away and having just a weekend where you don't talk about what you'll accept um, for a baby that's been exposed to drugs or what you'll like all of the hard adoption topics that you have to like wrestle through um, while you're waiting um, like putting all of that on pause and just taking a weekend away is so important and it's such mm -hmm. an amazing investment in your marriage and I feel like when we were waiting anything we did that wasn't to pursue this baby or any any penny that we spent that wasn't to pursue this baby, I felt was frivolous because I didn't want them, my future baby, and I put this on myself to feel like we weren't doing everything at every point to bring them home. But that's such a twisted mindset because mm -hmm. when this baby is long gone, it's going to be my husband and I. That's the number one relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not this child. Um, and it's a lot of pressure for these babies that we bring them home to be our happiness and to put our hope in that when all of the anger and all the frustration and loss will still be there if we haven't processed it before they come home. Mm -hmm. And our husband is our number one relationship. So that's all I have to say about the marriage side, <laughs> <laughs> which is, yeah. That, and which is a lot, that's a lot to, to really chew on and to process. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. man, you covered 
you covered a lot. <laughs> you gave some <laughs> very revealing practical things about adoption. Your husband, thank, tell him thank you for me, please, and for everybody that's going to listen. I feel like that was really good information. Um, oh, thank I, you. I did not, I did not know that whenever we were walking through our our. I mean, because he Jay had male factor too. Mm-hmm. Um, there were issues on my end too, but they weren't diagnosed yet. They were just assumed issues, but they were like, there's no point because it's male factor. Um, and I probably did not lift him up as much as I needed to. Amanda, thank you for coming on and taking time out away from that new baby. Oh, well, he's so thank cute. You. I was just looking at your Instagram before we talked. They are precious. Oh, we get comments everywhere we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are so precious. We agree. For those of you that are sitting there, that are that male factor is a part of your story, I pray that this episode taught you something new. Maybe you heard a different perspective. Maybe your husband is kind of like Amanda's husband and really just felt like he couldn't process what he was feeling. And so I hope this gives him the words and you the words to work through that. And if you're considering adoption, oh man, I hope this became a really big warning sign and kind of a pathway for you guys to get started because it's a it's scary and then when you add in the idea that someone could take advantage of you in the process that's just a whole nother level and so follow amanda on instagram i will make sure she's listed in the show notes you can always go on the website and find her joininfertility.com she actually just posted this past week a whole bunch of adoption resources like books and podcasts and resource just tons of resources so I asked her to save that on her highlights. She did that so you guys can go follow her on Instagram because they have went before us and they know the way. So we're just going to follow them. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys have a great week and we will chat again very soon. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Joy and Infertility podcast. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Whatever you're facing this week, remember, God is with you, He sees your heart, He loves you, and He is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.